Um, so my name is Signe, uh, Signe Grushavenko, and I live in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. I am a very gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. I just had yesterday my um, three-year anniversary of my abstinence, so I'm very excited <laughs> about that, that I've been here, been here for three years and, um, you know, clean in the food and you know, living in recovery, which is just about the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me in this life, to be honest. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about what it was like for me before and what happened to me and then, you know, how I got here and what it's like for me now. Um, food, I remember being an issue for me, like literally as, as long as I can remember. So since childhood, um, I have very early memories of, um, just just obsession around food like when was I going to get to have it how much was I going to be able to have who was going to see me get it how was I going to get it next um my poor sweet mother you know all throughout my formative years was trying to help me handle this situation which I'm the only compulsive overeater in my family and they did not understand what was happening, you know, to me and tried really hard to, um, you know, assist me in controlling that, but it, that was not an available thing for me, that control. Um, so some things I remember like from when I was little, um, you know, like I said, my mom started really early trying to help me with food. And so I would have to you know, sneak and get that food however I could. I remember she had me on a diet when I was in middle school and would like portion out lunch meat for my sandwiches and keep it in the freezer because she knew if it was in the refrigerator, I would just eat it. And so I would have to wait until she wasn't looking and get these like frozen packages of lunch meat out of the freezer and like microwave them to thaw them out so I could, you know, get that fix of some kind of food. But then of course, when you microwave it, it would cause like a smell. And so then I'm having all this sort of shame spiraling around, am I hiding it? Who's gonna know I'm doing this? And also what a bizarre thing to have to do anyway. Like who needs ham that bad? And it's not like she wasn't feeding me. You know, I was being fed a completely reasonable amount of food, but I needed more. Um, and I never was like, I was never like a binger binger. My thing was more about needing to have sort of a constant sense of fullness all the time. So it wasn't like massive portions of food necessarily, although sometimes it was, but it was always just needing to have this sort of satiated feeling of fullness. And I think I came to associate that feeling of fullness with safety and contentment. And it, I think it was almost probably like like a downer, right? Like a drug. Like I had a lot of anxiety and fear as a young person. And it's the thing that I would use to like take that edge off and calm, calm myself. So I learned that super, super early. Um, so one thing I, I, I always like to tell about with the food is like, I remember being at my grandmother's house when we had gone there. Um, my, my, my people are from Michigan and we'd go up there to visit and their house had like a kitchen where it was open to the living room, but like on the other side of the wall. So they couldn't see what was happening in the kitchen from the living room. And my grandmother had um, 
always had candy in her in her cupboards and all these different wonderful things that had wrappers that made noise and like I said like they were all very like nobody had this problem of compulsive eating so my grandmother could eat like two of those things a day in the afternoon with her coffee and that was a thing for her but for me it was like torture to know that those things were all in there and like how was I going to get it was somebody going to hear me get it you know, how many times could I pretend at night I was going to go to the bathroom while everybody's watching TV and then sneak back through the kitchen and take that thing into the bathroom with me and eat it? And then what am I going to do with those wrappers? And did anybody hear me like opening the cabinet and going in the jar? And then like, what am I going to do with the wrappers? I got to wrap it up and put it in the bottom of the trash or put it in my bag or whatever. And then like, how many can I eat? without people noticing, you know, that they're gone. So it's this constant mess, right? It's so, so loud and prominent. And how can I even like be with people when I have this constant background of like, how am I gonna get that food? And when I tell this story, I, it's so funny to me because that was, that was the constant thing, right? About what it was like when I was at my grandmother's house. And I was not a child when that was happening. That was like a few years ago. So I was like 35, 38 years old. Like this is as a grown, grown person that this was my frame of mind and like what was going on for me. Um, so that was what food obsession was like for me. And it was like that all the time. So what did that look like, like from the outside and feel like from the inside? You know, when I was 40 years old, um, I think I weighed close to 300 pounds. I don't really know what my top weight was. So I was somewhere between 285 and 300 pounds. Um, that was physically very painful for me. I'm not, I'm not a person of tall stature. I think I'm like five foot three inches tall. So physically I was very, very uncomfortable. I couldn't walk up three or four stairs without being winded. Um, my knees were starting to hurt. I had a lot of pain in my hips and my joints. I had headaches like almost constantly because I was eating all kinds of things that were, um, that I actually have sort of like physical allergies to in addition to the allergy as we understand it. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't looking great, right? Like I was definitely wearing, wearing this problem on the outside, um, and I would say too, like for, for, for those of us who have had a different experience of physical problems of this thing, I don't think the fact that I had a lot of extra weight like meant much. I think we can really experience this um, alcoholic torture, even if we're gaining and losing the same 10 or 20 pounds, right? Like I, I did have physical, um, I paid a physical price over this and some people pay less and some people pay more in that area. But I don't think it really, I don't think it really matters. Like the compulsion and the, the mental pain is the same, you know, no matter what we're experiencing on that, on that physical plane. Um, okay. So 40 years old, I was weighing, like I said, like nearly 300 pounds. This was, and of course, over my life, I've gained and lost and gained and lost tens and twenties of pounds, 50 pounds, 80 pounds, a hundred pounds. I have had periods where I could control, 
control it enough to lose weight and then would be right back up. And that was a cycle that I've been on. Like I said, my mom had me on a diet when I was in middle school. So that's been my story, um, you know, my whole life. And it was, it was, it was riding, that wave was riding higher and higher. Um, so, okay. So 40 years old, about 300 pounds, um, just really kind of miserable in a lot of other areas of my life as well. Um, I have a husband I've been married to for 21 years, who is a very wonderful person. So I had a nice partnership in my life and everything was pretty decent in my work life, but my life had gotten really very, very small. You know, I was so overcome with um, fear and, you know, all kinds of things that I wasn't even aware of, which were the things really that I was eating over. Um, but I couldn't even see those things. You know, the food was there to like shove all that down. And so that I did not have to look at all of that. So let's see, 2015, spring of 2015, I had what I, I sort of now think of as my step one uh, experience, even though I had never heard of a 12-step program, didn't know anybody who was in recovery, did not know about Overeaters Anonymous, but it's a thing that sort of had happened for me, I guess I would say kind of spontaneously, but I remember I was walking in the park one day, I was by myself, and it, it, you know, everything was wrong, right, like everything hurt, physically I'm unwell, and just feeling like I can't I can't, I cannot do it anymore. And I did not have a particularly strong um, connection with, you know, any higher power or religion or God or anything at that point. But I was walking and I, I thought, you know, I just can't do this anymore. And I, and I really like prayed to whatever would listen and said, you know, God, if you want anything different for me, or you want anything better for me, you're going to have to give it to me. Like, I'm going to have to have a miracle because this is, I can't, I don't have anything else. And, and really what I meant when I said that, like really what I meant when I said that was I'm, I give up now, like I'm ready now to, I'm just going to be fat and I'm going to not struggle with it anymore. I'm just going to let it happen. And if like I die or whatever I die, but I can't do the, the struggle with it anymore. It was the struggle of, of constantly trying to stop and not being able to stop. It was just completely and totally demoralizing. Um, so that was May, no, March of 2015. And it took a long time after that for me to, for me to come to OA. Um, but something happened in that moment. And I really feel like, you know, those prayers began to be answered, even though I didn't connect it that way for a long time. But within a couple of weeks, I had stumbled into um, a diet, which was definitely a diet at that point. It was not a food plan. It was like another diet. But I stumbled into this thing that inadvertently I did not yet understand what trigger foods were and like what my relationship to food really was, but I stumbled into this diet that took away all of those things, right? All of my major um, triggers and my, my allergic foods. And so the first time really in my whole life, 
I wasn't aggravating my physical allergy. And so I was all of a sudden able to maintain this, what, what pretty much was a, a variation of abstinence. And over the course of about um, a year, year and a half, I lost over a hundred pounds, um, 120 pounds, I think. And so I was reaching what felt like for me, like an ideal weight at that point. Um, and, but I tell y'all, it was like the most miserable I have ever been in my entire life. Like as bad as it was in the food, this was so much worse because what happened is I had the thing that I always thought was going to be the thing that was going to solve all of my problems. Right. So I had lost the weight physically. I was feeling really well and things in my mind were more disordered and dysfunctional and messy than they had ever, ever been. And that was, I think almost a worse bottom than I experienced that, you know, two years before. And I remember saying to my husband at that time, um, I was like, you know, I feel like a drawn arrow that like the second I relax on this food plan situation, that I'm going to just go like a shot and I'm going to weigh, you know, 500 pounds. Like I could feel that eventuality like welling up within me. I, I felt like I was walking around with no skin on is how I would describe it. Like, like a live nerve, like every single thing um, that happened to me felt um, catastrophic, right? Because I'm abstinent, but I'm not recovered. So I don't have my medication anymore, but I don't have the, the real solution. There was no recovery. There was only abstinence. And that is just a really miserable place to be. So um, in May, March of 2017, so this is about two years after I had that initial sort of experience with my powerlessness, um, in a normal body, um, you know, strutting around, I got very wound up in this idea of being in a, in a, in a, in this new size body. And so that was a whole nother thing that I was sort of having issues with was sort of my ego around that and feeling very attached to that new, new form. But I was at an art show. I'm, I'm an, I'm an artist by trade and I was at an art fair and I was very attached to all these new like outfits I'm wearing and like looking a certain way. And I'm strutting along in this, in this outfit, this outdoor show. And my booth neighbor like calls out to me, he's this lovely older gentleman. He calls out like, look at that fashion model or something like that. And I like turned back to him and, and I was gave him some kind of very flip answer. Like, yeah, you know, you know it. And like walked off and immediately I thought, oh my gosh, like how embarrassing because he doesn't know me. Like he didn't know me when I was heavy. And so in my mind, I was like making a joke at like, yeah, I used to be like really heavy and now here I am like all fancy and stuff. And so in my mind, like he was in on the joke of, yeah, like, yeah, I'm a supermodel, but he didn't, I just, I remembered like, well, he didn't know me like that. So I backed up and I said to him, um, I said, gosh, that was probably sounded really weird. Like you didn't know me before, but I've lost over a hundred pounds. And um, so that's why I was kind of joking about, yeah, I'm a supermodel. And he looked at me and he said, oh, uh, so you're an addict too. 
And I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess maybe I am. Like, whatever do you mean? Um, and it turned out that he was a recovered AA. And um, over the course of that weekend, he, he just just really big booked the hack out of me. Like he really reeled me in on this um, idea of the 12 steps. And it was the first time that I had really heard and understood what my problem is. And he, he's really saved my life. That man saved my life. Like he was my Abby and I, I would love him forever for what he, um, what he gave me. Thank you, Georgia, for the timer. I appreciate that. Um, so I guess I just talked way longer than I thought to, I was going to about the beginning of my experience. But um, so I want to say a couple quick things before I wrap up. So um, after meeting that gentleman, I got into OA within a couple weeks. Like I made it to a, ma a meeting pretty fast and found a sponsor within the first few months, um, work the steps and, you know, thank thank higher power was 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 given the recovery that's promised to us um in the book you know the the beautiful gift of neutrality with food which is a thing which i have never experienced in my whole entire life uh, until i was i guess i was like 42 43 when i came into recovery um and what a beautiful blessing that is um i don't have to think about food anymore um in the way that i used to and i don't have to hurt myself with food anymore. And it's not even a thing that's much in my mind, which is amazing. Um, so I guess I won't talk much about what it's like in recovery since I've, I've, I've pretty much wound up my 20 minutes here. But um, I would say that the, the process of the working of the steps worked for me as it's prescribed in the book. Um, there's been healing in many of my relationships. Um, you know, I, I continue to work, work the steps daily in, in order to stay, you know, in this, in this, um, in this state. Um, I, and I guess the one other thing I would say is that I'm a very strong believer in the, in the, the working of the 12th step. Um, I think that my experience in <clears throat> sponsoring is really probably the thing that keeps me keeps me well. And I see one of my lovely sponsees here on the line today. <laughs> I'm very happy, happy to see her. Um, but I think sponsoring is like the greatest level of accountability that we could ever possibly have. Um, because the need to stay, stay centered and stay well and stay recovered in order to be of service to my sponsees is probably the, the thing that keeps me keeps me moving forward when I would gladly rest on my laurels and, and not, um, not do that. 